Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This podcast exists because of the paid members at decodingtv.com. Sign up to be a paid member and get ad-free episodes, early access to episodes, and exclusive bonus episodes that we make just for members. Thanks to everyone at decodingtv.com who makes this podcast possible. Like, think about everything that She-Hulk brings to the table, and those guys were my best option. You can have literal superpowers, and some guy with an internet connection will still think he can do better. Yes! (laughs) Oh my god! Hello everyone, and welcome to Decoding TV, a podcast about television. I'm David Chen. I'm Siddhant Adlaka. And welcome to the show. This week we're going to be covering She-Hulk, episode 5 Mean, green, and straight poured into these genes. Uh, so that's what we're going to be covering on today's episode of Decoding TV. But Zidane, there's a couple of things we want to talk about before we get to She-Hulk Attorney at Law this week. There were some big announcements at D23 this past week. Mm-hmm. Uh, D23 is a big Disney event where they unveil a lot of their upcoming properties and their plans. And there is some stuff that's relevant to the She-Hulk and Hulk universe. That we wanted to mention. Uh, the big one is, and, and I, I, I want to say before we get into this, some people might technically regard these as like spoilers. If you don't want to know anything about future Marvel films or anything going on in the MCU, like uh, skip ahead. I'll have a timestamp for when we begin our main review of She-Hulk in the show notes. But let's talk a little bit about some of the stuff that was announced. Tim Blake Nelson who was last seen in the 2008 film The Incredible Hulk that we reviewed on this podcast, will return in the film Captain America New World Order, currently scheduled to come out in May of 2024. And he's going to be playing the same character that he played in The Incredible Hulk. Of course, we never saw him become the character that he was supposed to become, which was the leader, right? Uh, in, In The Incredible Hulk... Remind us of what happened to Tim Blake Nelson's character, Siddhanta Tlaka. Well, Tim Blake Nelson, who was going by the nickname Mr. Blue when he was in touch with Bruce Banner, played by Edward Norton. That's how far back we're going. Um, he was running some, you know, Hulk-related experiments, creating synthetic, you know, Hulk blood. And, uh, you know, he was trying to help Bruce Banner. Uh, but then at one point, Emil Blonsky, who we've seen in She-Hulk, you know, uh, decides he wants some of that sweet, sweet hulkiness and sort of forces Tim Blake Nelson's character into um, helping him transform into a Hulk-like being, which would eventually become the Abomination. And then what happens is, like, he gets, you know, smacked against a wall. That's Tim Blake Nelson. And uh, he has this little gash on his head, and he falls down, and a bit of that Hulk blood that he's been pumping into the Abomination, like drips into his open wound. It's basically what happens to Jennifer Walters, kind of, in She-Hulk. Yeah. Uh, and, like, his his head starts, like, 
mutating and growing a little bit. And you see like a bit of a, a grin on his face. Right. And that is the last we saw of him. 14 years ago, uh, <laughs> soon to be 16 by the time we see him again. Yeah. So uh, I assume his head might uh, have grown just a tiny bit bigger by then. Uh, he may have gotten a little greener too, for all we know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in the comics, uh, c- c- is... couple, yeah. Before we get into it, a couple fascinating yeah. sort of implications of this, right? Number one is I, I've been so curious about how canonical the MCU takes the Incredible Hulk because I think it's one of very few instances in which a character has been replaced by a different actor in the MCU. Yeah, in the of, MCU since, since one Iron of Man, two. Right? One of two. Yeah, that's right. Who's who's the other one? Uh, you had Don Cheadle, who plays Rhodey. Oh, yeah, that's right. Terrence yeah. Howard in the first one. We're playing Terrence Howard. And, th- and then um, uh, Mark Ruffalo replacing um, uh, Edward Norton as Bruce Banner. And uh, I- I've always wondered, like, yeah, th- they kind of g- generally don't really refer to the events of the Incredible Hulk in the MCU. Uh, they have... They, they sort of did it, like... Uh, obliquely in the first Avengers movie. Like, yes, as we when, when Bruce Banner's in the middle of nowhere and yeah. that's kind of a similar situation to what he was at the end of the post-credits. Or I'm sorry, uh, I'm sorry, at the end of um, Incredible Hulk. You can kind of imagine how that Edward Norton version ended up in the Bruce Banner situation, right? Yeah, and he he references having broken Harlem the last time he was in New York, which right. is a reference to that climax. And But the first real time, uh, it be- it became like, I guess you could say explicit that that movie was canon was in Captain America Civil War, where you had William Hurt as General right. Thunderbolt Ross, who was now the Secretary of State of the U.S. Right. And then also, of course, uh, Emil Blonsky, again, played by Tim Roth, comes back mm-hmm. in She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, and he's playing the same character uh, that all that stuff happened to in the Incredible Hulk movie. Yeah. Um, With a slightly more amphibious design. More amphibious design, yeah. and also uh, Tim Roth's Emil Blonsky has really mellowed out over the years, mm-hmm. right? So I feel like the opposite might happen to the Lido. Mm-hmm, I think that's probably true. Uh, so now with the leader coming back, it's like, oh, wow, really? The events of The Incredible Hulk were definitely canon. Like, they're really bringing it all back. Curious what that guy's been doing for the last 14 years. You know, like, has he just been chilling with his Leading. big brain, you know? Leading. You yeah, know big brain energy, perhaps. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so it, it kind of... In many ways, it's going back to that Incredible Hulk movie and harvesting everything useful that it can uh, from that movie. When I say it, I mean the MCU, right? So that's kind of a cool idea. And um, you you could say that, uh, you know, in that case, since Martin Starr shows up for like a hot second in The Incredible Hulk as like one of the students at the university eating pizza. And then you mm. see him a few years later in the Spider-Man movies as a professor. Yes. He became know, every- he became a teacher. Yeah. He became yeah. He, he was a, a, such an inspired student. He became a teacher. basically. Exactly. Right? So yeah. that's really what's important here. Indeed. So, thank you. Uh, the other thing worth pointing out is, I guess, uh this genetically mutated blood, you know, it, it might not transform you into Hulk. It might not, it might not be predictable in what it does to you, but it is potent. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, the idea is like, Oh yeah, the, the, the gamma radiation blood wouldn't work for anyone else. That's not Jennifer Walters because, you know, she's related to Bruce Banner, but no, I, I feel like if Bruce's blood got on anyone, uh, or, you know, that kind of blood got on anyone, it would probably have extreme potency it just might not transform you into hulk it might make you into some other abomination slash leader creature right 
Yeah, because um, uh, we saw what happened to uh, Blonsky, the abomination. But, you know, maybe part of that has to do with the fact that he was already injected with, uh, you know, the super soldier serum that they seem to have reverse engineered from Captain America's blood. So he's he's got the blood of two Avengers in him. <laughs> um, the leader, he was probably just smart already, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so t- tell us a little bit more about the leader. Like, w- what do we know about the leader in the comics? And what, do you, what are you expecting from the leader being in the next Captain America New World Order movie? Yeah, what we know about him in the comics is big brain, very smart, green skin. And what I expect from him in the movie is big brain, very smart, green skin. Oh wow! Thank you. That's, that's all. So... That, that's really all there is to it. <laughs> like the leader's, you know, shown up throughout, you know, various comics. He's never been like an A-list villain, mm-hmm. um, but that—that's the long and short of it. Big head. That yeah, and smart. I am curious about Captain America: New World Order. Mm-hmm. Right, Sam Wilson will be Captain America in the new movie, and mm-hmm. that's exciting. Um, also, Joaquin Torres and uh, Isaiah Bradley from Falcon and Winter Soldier will be back as well. That show, in my opinion, was not very good, um, but and, and almost completely unnecessary uh, because you know, very minor spoilers for the show, but it's about Sam Wilson coming to terms with the fact that he's Captain America. So it's like, you probably could have skipped the whole thing and gone straight to Captain America New World Order because at the end of Avengers Endgame, he is presented with the shield and is like, you're the new Captain America. And it's like, okay. And then he's going to be the new Captain America in the next movie. So it's like, yeah. okay, all right, great. That, that, that all checks out. What is really fascinating to me is that there is a an actor named Shira Haas who's going to be playing Israeli superhero and Mossad agent Sabra in the movie. That's very exciting because Shira Haas, the last thing I saw her in was a Netflix limited series called Unorthodox, uh, in which I thought she did a very good job playing... Uh, and uh, somebody in an extremely enclosed community escaping this kind of religious community that she was trapped in. Um, so she was awesome in that movie. And to see her part of the MCU, that's wild. That's going to be really exciting. So uh, I just think it's cool that they're like, it's it's so fascinating that the Incredible Hulk is kind of this, um, is Bet Noir, Noir, is that a politically correct term? Is that is that right? You know what I'm saying? Like is kind of this, uh, black sheep of the MCU family in some ways, and now it's like, hey, with uh, Emil Blonsky, with Ross, with Emil Blonsky coming back, and now with Tim Blake Nelson, it's like uh, it feels like the MCU is finally fully embracing their uh, Louis Leterrier roots. You know? <laughs> and you would assume that with the announcement of a Thunderbolts movie as well, that. If William Hurt was still with us, he would probably get him in that because the Thunderbolts, the group of heroes, villains, anti-heroes who become the sort of parallel Avengers, um, like he has been like it's named after his character. And in the comics, he becomes the Red Hulk, which, as the name suggests, is the Hulk, but red. Um, You would assume there would have been plans for him to, you know, take up that role in the Thunderbolts, uh, which was another movie that was announced at D23. And we can go through that lineup as well, if you like. Yeah, according to D23, so the Thunderbolt is a movie that's going to uh, be released in July of 2024. And as you indicated, Siddhanth, it's a collection of heroes and villains that are part of this kind of parallel Avengers. Is that right? Basically. Yeah. Uh, and the lineup has been announced. It will include Valentina Allegra de Fontaine, who's played by Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Ghost, Red Guardian, Black Widow, uh, the Winter Soldier, U.S. Agent, and Taskmaster. 
Yeah, and we should clarify that's Black Widow as in Yelena, played by Florence Pugh, because Scarlett Johansson is extremely dead in the MCU. Yes. Uh, so she, as far Scarlett as we Johansson's know... version of the character. Scarlett Johansson is very much alive oh, yeah. and, yes. and demanding fair pay for her work. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Thank you for the yeah. clarification. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, all, all these actors are going to be in it. And I'm, I'm I'm curious, like, I know very little about most of these characters, right? And so I'm curious, like, what is going to be done to set them up between now and 2024? My guess is a substantial amount, right? So I'm most excited to see Wyatt Russell back as John Walker. Because as yes. much as I didn't like um, Captain Falcon, America, and the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, um, I thought he was the most interesting part of it. Um, just he was a he was a real piece of shit, and I loved it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he straight up murdered a dude, you know, in the streets on camera. So cool. And uh, but I guess everything's fine, you know. Now, anyway. Yeah, by the end of the I, show, I, it was like, oh yeah, let's let's work together. Why let's not? let bygones be bygones. Yeah. You know? So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, uh, a lot of footage was shown. Exciting stuff going on in the MCU, um, but. Wanted to call it the Tim Blake Nelson thing. That that that's the most notable. It's just like wow, they're really that's a deep pull. And I kind of I kind of love and respect when they go back that far, you know, to a thing that probably not that many people had seen. So certainly not that many modern MCU fans have seen Incredible Hulk. I would guess. I'm not probably sure. yeah, because like if we're talking about like if if the movies today are aimed at not only people who watch the movies back then, but like you know, fifteen and sixteen year olds. Um, they wouldn't have, you know, seen this in theater, certainly. But I think, I don't know, I feel like a, a number of MCU fans are also, like, completists and may have gone back and seen it now that it is, you know, canon, so to speak. But right, there's probably right. not a lot of people who have seen it as well. Probably a lot of people who have not seen it as well. Let me rephrase that. But, yeah, Tim Blake Nelson has also commented on, um, you know, rejoining the MCU. What he said was, uh, Marvel is part of cinema history and I get to be a part of... And and that I get to be a part of that is an absolute honor. And thank you for sticking with the leader, which is very nice and very Tim Blake Nelson. I've I've met him once at a film festival. He's an absolute sweetheart, the kind of person who will, you know, if you're a fan and you come up to him, uh, he'll not just ask you your name, but then remember your name. Um, he is just an absolute delight to talk to and by all accounts, a delight to work with as well. I want to call out a few other D23 announcements before we get to our conversation about She-Hulk. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a lot of Disney Plus stuff that got announced. Werewolf by Night, mm-hmm. the first MCU Halloween special, will hit Disney Plus on October 7th. Really interesting because uh, the whole movie is in black and white, and it seems like a big swing Yeah, for Disney Plus. I think also is uh, Michael Giacchino is directing it, if I'm That's not mistaken. That's right. The composer uh, of the Lost co- and Doctor Strange. Yeah, brilliant composer, and he's mm-hmm getting to direct a Marvel thing and that's or an MCU Disney Plus thing that's really cool. Secret Invasion with Nick Fury got a trailer uh which is going to be hitting Disney Plus in 2023 and uh it has to do with the scrolls and their shape-shifting ways and I think that'll be interesting. Ironheart uh will star Anthony Ramos and will hit Disney Plus next year. Very cool stuff. Uh Loki season 2 will hit Disney Plus in summer of 2023 and Ki-Huy Kwan will be in it. And that is really cool because Kihoi Kwan has wanted to be an actor for a long time and mm. left because Hollywood is stupid and then came back came back for everything, everywhere, all at once. And he was awesome in that movie. And now he gets to act in more things. And that is very exciting. And now so. he will forever be typecast as a multiverse jumper. 
Mm, so true, so true. And uh, the last thing that was announced, uh, it was I, I think it had previously already been announced, but they reaffirmed it, is Daredevil Born Again is getting 18 episodes on Disney+. Plus, and it has not started shooting yet. It will start shooting next year. So mm-hmm. probably we're looking at late 2023, 2024, earliest for that show's debut. Um, are we are we going to talk about the least controversial thing out of D23, the Little Mermaid trailer? Uh, let's uh, no, I, I agree with you. It is very, uh, it shouldn't be controversial. No, certainly. of course not. But, uh, but I just wanted to mention, of course, that for next week's episode of She-Hulk, we're going to try to have a little bit of conversation about uh, the current Netflix rendition of Daredevil, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and... Uh, and what that the legacy of that character is, as far as we know, because it seems like, you know, talk about Tim Blake Nelson. Uh, I mean, it seems like they're going to keep using not only the character Daredevil, but that version of that character, right? It's going to be Matt Murdock as played by Charlie Cox, is what I understand. Yeah, it's, um, it sort of remains to be seen, because even though it is, you know, it is the cast that we're familiar with. Uh, you know, we saw Charlie Cox briefly in uh, Spider-Man No Way Home, and we uh, saw that version of Wilson Fisk, the kingpin, in, gosh, what was it, Hawkeye? Yeah. Um, it, it's, like, it remains to be seen how closely they stick to the Netflix story. You know, are they going to treat it as having happened canonically in this universe, or is it is it just going to be like, all right, the Netflix stuff that happened in its own universe, but we're going to draw from like the same actors. Uh, but I don't know, maybe, maybe it's something they just won't address and it can be like, well, you can you know leave it up to your own imagination. Like the way they did with Logan and its relationship to right. the other X-Men films. Like, did those happen? Well, yeah. 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 Or like uh, 007, you know, like there's a new actor playing 007, but like some of the other, like M is played by the same person. So it's mm-hmm. like, and some of the other characters are played by the same people. So it's like, wait, is this the same universe or is it a new universe? You know, and they just don't even address it, really. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to well. the days where, like, none of that mattered. Like, you can just like, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, oh, sure, yeah. 15 Batmans in a decade. Yeah, that's fine. What we're going to do next week is we're going to talk a little bit at the top of the show about the Netflix version of Daredevil. Uh, we're going to rewatch the finale of Daredevil and talk about, like, where that character left off. Uh, because we have a feeling that that Daredevil is going to show up in She-Hulk Attorney at Law pretty soon. So hmm. I wonder why. Exactly. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, so that is what we wanted to cover in terms of D23 and stuff before we get to this episode of She-Hulk Attorney at Law. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. 
For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. All right, Sanat Laka. I'm David Chen. You're listening to Decoding TV. Let's talk about She-Hulk Attorney at Law, Season 1, Episode 5, Mean Green, and straight poured into these jeans. Overall thoughts on the episode, Sanat. What do you think? Very light, very repetitive, very silly. But at this point, like, that's kind of what I'm okay with out of this show. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's it's not the kind of thing where, like, anything of, like, a whole lot of consequence really happens. But, you know, it's a breeze. Like, you, you wake up on a Thursday morning. You, um, you want to watch something over breakfast. The episodes are, like, 25 minutes long, uh, not including credits. You're like, yeah, this this could be a... A fun Thursday morning watch. Yeah, I think that uh, it's. I agree that it's a fun episode, and I think that uh, the formula that the show seems to be establishing for itself is uh, there is a court case each week, and then like other characters go off on a different adventure, and then maybe they might be connected. But that seems to be kind of the formula that is being established each week. Yeah, and not a single fight scene this week, which is fine. This episode is is kind of rough in some ways yeah. because it's extremely similar to last week's episode in terms <laughs> of themes. It, and and actually, like, it, it really just feels like the release schedule of these things. And I've made this point before, but like, is feels very stretched out because this really feels like these two episodes should have been released at the same time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, l- last week's episode and this week's episode, like, they have the same characters in them they have they're extremely similar thematically that theme being that jennifer walters needs to accept that she is now uh she hulk and will forever be known as such um and she she needs to kind of reappropriate that name for her for her own usage and to to empower herself same theme as last week's episode and made a slightly different way this week yeah but no madison so it's a step down uh, exactly no wongers exactly right. either uh, 100%, 100% agreed. Um, so in terms of plot, I mean, you know, there's other shows out there that, uh, other podcasts out there that like dissect every single Easter egg of the show. And that's obviously not what this podcast is. Um, we are we generally do a, a, a good job of like recapping what happens each episode, but not that much actually will happen. <laughs> so we are going to instead use this episode as a jumping off point to other discussions mm-hmm. and philosophizing around the MCU. But let's talk briefly about what happens in this episode. So uh, at the end of last week's episode, we found out that Titania was suing She-Hulk because of trademark infringe- infringement. She-Hulk was using the name that Titania theoretically owned a trademark for. And this episode follows uh, two separate plots. One is uh, She-Hulk's attempt to get back her name by proving that she was using She-Hulk as a name long before Titania was using it. And also uh, Pug and Nikki go off on a quest to to get She-Hulk a better outfit. (laughs) That is the secondary plot. Mm -hmm. And to be fair, there's some really cool uh, stuff with that, with the the guy that they find to get the outfit. Like I thought the performance was really, really amazing. and uh, I really enjoyed that guy's name, who I is escaping me at the moment. 
But uh, do you know who I'm talking about? The guy who plays the the sartorial expert? Yeah, so the character's name is Luke Jacobson. Uh, but the actor's name... Uh, I am speaking very slowly for Griffin no Matthews. reason. Griffin yes. Matthews. Yeah. That's not Absolutely I was, brilliant. Not because I was yeah. trying to look it up myself. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant performance, I thought. Uh, a, a true delight to to witness yeah. this episode. And then... Uh, and then what's also there's a lot of weird stuff going on in the show right now, Siddhanth. Mm-hmm. I mean, weird stuff in terms of timeline because uh, we are meant to believe that She-Hulk had her dates before Titania launched her product line and then sued She-Hulk for trademark infringement, right? Because yeah. the whole point is that she was using her her name before that. But the dates happened last episode and at the end of that episode is when she got sued for trademark infringement. So I think in the time between when the dates ended and the end of last episode, Titania launched her entire line of products and then sued Geog, right? So when, so going back to when we started this podcast, you mentioned something about the episodes feeling like or maybe even being like, you know, chopped up out of order or something and, and right. really get a sense of that this this episode. Because well, also, like, why why is Titania not in jail? Like, did that did that get resolved in the last few episodes that I didn't I mean, see it? It's all kind of just happened off screen. Like, she's in jail. <laughs> now she's out. And like, she's again, out, I we're, guess, yeah. we're halfway through. Right. And yeah, they, they did kind of bring it up but like they didn't really address it, but we're halfway through the, the season. And I, I, I don't know like a damn thing about Titania. Yeah. Like what was she doing in that first episode, five episodes ago, bursting into a quarter? Who was she trying to attack? What, what is happening with that character? Like who is she? she she's, she's ostensibly like one of the main villains of the show, but like, yeah. like at the, we're, we're now five episodes in, we don't really have a villain, right? Like, yeah. Uh, or or any kind of season long conflict, and that's okay. Maybe that's not the direction the show's going in, you know. But it does and, feel really out of order. Like yeah, what, what's going on? Yeah, it was also in episode three, at the end of episode three, that uh, She Hulk was attacked by somebody with Asgardian weapons, a group with Asgardian weapons, yeah. and they refer trying to like get her DNA or something like that. Yeah, right? and they refer off screen to like their boss and like. And we're now at the end of episode five, and we have no idea who that is. You know? Yeah. Like it maybe, doesn't even come up slightly. <laughs> maybe it's Griffin Matthews who plays Luke. Maybe maybe it's Griffin Matthews' character. You know, what oh, you he think doesn't about know that? about. He doesn't really know about her for some reason. Like everyone's yeah. talking about her. She's in the news. He doesn't know about her. You'd think yeah. that he would have his ear to the ground when it comes to new superheroes, though. Y- you would think that, but and then Renee Elise Goldberry Goldsberry shows up in this episode. Fine, that's cool. Um, she was in about ten seconds of the previous episode. Yeah. But then they have like a weirdly sort of uh, standoffish confrontation with each other. They have a weirdly confrontational vibe. She's like, okay, I'm going to be your lawyer and that's that. And it's like, okay, do these people have some kind of history with each other? Because we just met them like five minutes ago, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very, I guess you could assume that because Jen's been at this law firm for a while, like she's been making waves, but we don't see any of that on screen. Um, so... I think the timeline and who the villains are and the long running storylines of the show were five episodes in. I think to say it's safe to say it's a bit of a mess. Yeah. It's a bit of a mess. And uh, it's not only a mess in like an overarching sense, but also like this episode itself has a lot of weirdly like messy and choppy editing that makes it kind of 
let's say interesting to watch like of course you mm-hmm. have the same thing happening of like well you know she hulk transforms off screen and all that but like they start doing the same thing with titania where like every time she speaks it cuts away so i'm 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 thinking like has all of jamila jamil's dialogue like been adr'd or something because like i think 90% of what she says like it, it like whenever she's speaking like the camera is on another character yeah uh, good catch, good catch. But the other, th- you know, the other thing is also like we're we're going off at adventures with like Nikki and and Pug, and yeah. we know very little about those characters, you know. And, and, and so this show li- will live and die basically based on like the personalities. Yeah, and I, I find them enjoyable. I, I'm, I I I like enjoy hanging out with those characters. But I could totally see if you did not. That that it would just not work at all, yeah. Right? Like because you know so little about them, you just need to go based on vibes, basically. You know? Yeah, like this was like the best part of the episode for me was you know, Nikki and Bugs' quest to get Jen uh, a new outfit, uh, and that, you know they're fun to hang out with. But uh, if they were showing up every week and doing something like that, and we had no way of knowing anything more about them, that would start to become a bit of a problem. Just because, like, let, let's say this is their like first adventure together, so to speak. You know, everything that's happening gives you a little bit of sense of who they are. But in a comedy like this, where all the humor sort of emanates from who the characters are, you would need to know more about that to get more of that comedy. So I think it works for like one week. Uh, but, you know, going forward, we would need to like they would they would need to be actual characters rather yeah. than just these broad types. I would agree with you. I'd agree with you. Um, so I wanted to talk about this article that Matt Singer published mm-hmm. over at ScreenCrush.com. Uh, which is entitled She-Hulk takes Marvel out of the MCU and into the real world. And he writes about how, quote, every couple of years after a big comics crossover, the X-Men would stop whatever they're doing and just play baseball. Wolverine, Cyclops, Storm, and the rest of the crew would take to the field behind Xavier's school of gifted youngsters for a friendly game. Powers weren't typically allowed, but of course there was always a cheater or two who used them anyway. Um, the relative calm of those baseball issues never lasted long before Magneto or Mr. Sinister threatened to show up, uh, showed up to threaten the free world again. But they are always my favorite X-Men stories as a kid. They were designed to give readers a breather between epic storylines and to reestablish the characters' relationships. Uh, end quote. Anyway, he, he's talking about how like not every comic story needs to be about a character saving the world, right? Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and he goes on to say, quote, Marvel heroes lived in the real world and the best Marvel books examined their impact on that world in fun and thoughtful ways. That I have come to realize is the reason I like She-Hulk, Attorney at Law and Disney+. Plus. It's basically a whole show driven by the same storytelling impulses behind the X-Men playing uh, baseball. Fight scenes are rare. This week's episode had none at all. Um, some episodes don't have a traditional supervillain. Others super- subvert our expectations about them, like when Tim Roth's Abomination showed up. Uh, end quote. And then he goes on to then say that this show has addressed things like, quote, uh, She-Hulk has already considered the impact of people with powers on dating, healthcare, technology, fashion, beauty, trademarks, and the penal system. It shows us what ordinary magicians do in a world where there's an honest-to-goodness sorcerer living in Greenwich Village, and it's revealed where the Avengers get their durable, stretchy costumes. And it's barely scratched the surface of where a show like this could go, end quote. I agree that there's huge potential in a show like She-Hulk mm-hmm. Attorney at Law depicting what the impact of superheroes would be on the real world. I will say, I think that these issues can probably only be explored at a surface level for a show with this kind of tone. Yeah. And runtime as well. Yeah. And runtime. But, but even generally, like in my opinion, Siddhanth, a world in which the MCU, like the MCU 
would completely destroy our modern justice system as we know it. Like, <laughs> like there's no way it would ever function because reasonable doubt would always be on the table. Oh, did you murder that person? Is it possible that Dr. Strange opened up a portal and chopped them in half with the portal and then like, and that's why they're all in two pieces bloody on the ground? It's po- Is there a reasonable doubt that that could have happened? 100%. Did you know where Dr. Strange was at the time? Damn. Nope. You really thought um, this through. Yes, I have, Sidon. Thank you. <laughs> um, and, and so I think that it would just wreak havoc with a lot of our established legal principles in a way that I think could actually be explained, but is not in, in the MCU. I do think the trademark idea is an interesting one because yeah. She-Hulk is one of the few characters that, as Renee Elise Goldsberry character points out, doesn't use her actual name in... Uh, you know, as her superhero self, uh, unlike Thor and Doctor Strange, mm-hmm. although they haven't gone over Spider Man or anything like that. But anyway, although maybe he doesn't exist in this universe yet, right? Or people don't remember him. Um, but no, no, that's not true. I think they know who Spider Man is. Anyway, just, yeah, Peter Parker is Peter Parker. They don't know who Peter Parker is. Yeah. So what did you? What do you think of She Hulk as a way of showing what? superheroes impact on the real world would be i'm completely with matt on this in that you know it it is the show that is you know even though there's more potential for it to dig deeper it is the the first one that really tries to get into all like the nooks and crannies of like what's going on behind the scenes and all that you you did get a sense of that to some degree with agents of shield but that was more like okay who are like the avengers cleanup crew um you you do get some of this perspective actually with uh, Miss Marvel, which I know you haven't seen, um, but that that again is is very focused on like a couple of characters and their relationship to like you know superhero fandom and all that, and then it becomes its own thing. But this is the one that exists um, adjacent to you know all the superhero lore, but isn't in and of itself like a big superhero event, which is good. And he he makes a really good point about the comics because so going back to around the mid two thousands. The, the event comic started to really become Marvel's bread and butter. You had things like uh, Avengers Disassembled, which uh, was this sort of Wanda-centric, you know, story of like, you know, all, which, which led into this other Wanda-centric alternate reality story called House of M, uh, which was about like an alternate universe. And that in turn led to Civil War which, you know, conceptually you might be familiar with, like this huge, you know, factional war between like, you know, superheroes. But the thing is, every time Marvel would do one of these big events, there would be not only a fallout, but there would be these side comics to see how these events were impacting things on the ground for like lower level characters and all that. Uh, But as time went on, you know, into the late 2000s, the early 2010s, and gosh, especially now, like a big problem with Marvel Comics is in order to like get new readers on board, it's just like event, 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 event. And granted, I haven't, you know, kept up to date with like every single Marvel comic being published. So I'm sure there's something out there that does function this way, the smaller on the ground stories. But a lot like the movies, it's just big event, big event, big event. And, you know, less of the focus is on the in-between stuff like this. Um, and it's actually, you know, our friend Patrick Willems, who in one of his video essays uh, about the Marvel Cinematic Universe said that the D23, sorry, beg your pardon, the Disney Plus shows 
have the potential to fill in these gaps, the things that are happening in between the events. And She-Hulk is the first one that really feels that it actually fulfills that purpose. Mm-hmm. Because you, it's like one of those, it's like a fan fiction prompt each week. Like, you know, well, what if there was a legal case about, you know, so-and-so? What if there was a trademark case? Um, it's not about like a big battle or the world ending. It's just these like little brain tickling sort of questions like, hmm, what would happen in this universe if this person met, you know, a, a magician who was trying to, you know, get by in a world of sorcery? Yeah, but it's, you know, there's a show called What If that does similar things. But I think what is unique about She-Hulk is the kind of mundane situations, right? Yeah, the, well, the, the idea the, that the, it's, it's, the, it's a single female lawyer who is going through these events like she she had her, her own very normal adult life and then this superhero thing collided with her life and like she's trying to make sense of it yeah whereas the, you know, the what yeah. if show is still more about like you know yeah, superheroes what meeting if, superheroes in big epic yeah things, what if right? black panther was star lord which well, yeah. first time i heard of that i thought it was genuinely like a joke um but like it's all it's still about like the big superhero event stuff right. this is about right. the on the ground stuff yeah yeah and i do think that some of the stuff that it does, the trademark thing, I think is actually like a clever plot line. Um, the dating stuff, I think is actually pretty, pretty well done as well and, and feels pretty tr- uh, realistic, true to life, well thought through. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's other things that uh, probably uh, would be really different. And, and oh, the other thing is uh, the job hunting stuff. Like you can imagine being a superhero, there would be lots of people who would not want you to be working for them and other people who would want you to be working for them, but would want to use that part of you. Yeah. Right. And so that's, that's what I like. Those are some elements of it that I, that I really like. Um, I do think like the idea of, you know, the penal system or the healthcare system, you know, that's what Matt Singer also mentions. Like, I, I don't know that it really explores those in a meaningful way, but overall, I think that's kind of what the appeal is for the show is, that it shows you the in-between moments when like not epic stuff is happening. Like I, I, I think it's becoming pretty clear by this point in the show that there's not going to be some big world ending thing necessarily. Mm-hmm. Certainly not one that's going to take a lot of effort to address because each episode is yeah. only 30 minutes and there's not that much in terms of long running plot lines per episode. So I would have loved to have seen a little bit more about the actual She-Hulk by Titania line of beauty and wellness products because the episode opens with a pretty spot-on recreation of what one of those product lines uh, looks like in his advertising. Mm-hmm, uh, and I yeah. thought that was pretty great. But like, apart from a few jokes about like what she's selling, we don't actually get to see that. So I really wanted to see like what what is it that people are shelling out all this money for? You know. Hmm. Hmm. But well, I, I think the point is that it's to me it struck me as kind of a Gwyneth Paltrow goop parallel. You know. <laughs> Where it's like he's into it, so a a lot of stuff of questionable value, but people are still really into it, and it has somebody who is very famous behind it. Who, by the way, four episodes ago went on a massive rampage that probably could have killed people, Um, but we're not really talking about that anymore. And I will say, I like that you know when Jen is commenting on these products in the showroom, she's like, you know, I don't remember the exact uh, words she uses, but like, is beauty this, beauty that? Like, what's the difference between this? And I, and for a second, I was like, oh, are they gonna go like the I'm not like other girls route? But then Nikki's immediately like, no, no, there is a difference. It's like, whoo, all right, thank you for rescuing this plotline for me, Nikki. I love you. 
Any other things to mention in terms of details or things we liked about this episode? I liked that the boba place was called Boba, B-E-A-U, Ba. That was pretty <laughs> awesome. And uh, always nice to see like an East Asian character in the MCU. And she she speaks Chinese to him, which, by the way, was good Chinese. Mm-hmm. Um, pr- pretty pretty decent Chinese. And the guy was like, I'm not Chinese, which is like an awesome. Been there. Been there. Wh- I mean, which I am. Ch- was it? I am Chinese, but uh, I've been. It was uh, it was Mandarin. She's okay. speaking. Um, uh, I but... like that. I like that that character sells knockoff Avengers and Avengers merch <laughs> with like a purple Hulk on it, who seems to have a mustache. It, it really reminded me of uh, this Cartoon Network show that I used to watch growing up called uh, Dexter's Lab. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but there was this sort of sub subplot kind of separate story about like this um, Justice League Avengers knockoff called the Justice Friends. Are you at all familiar with this? Mm-mm, mm-mm. Okay, so there were these three characters. Major Glory, who was like a Captain America type with like an American flag as mm-hmm. like his cape. And he had like a winged eagle helmet. His friend Van Halen, who was a, a Thor send up, except he had like this really cool like, you know, metal guitar. And my favorite of the three, a purple Hulk knockoff called the Infragable Crunk. And it looked to me like the infragable crunk was on these Avengers and Avengers t-shirts. <laughs> amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. You know, going back to our conversation about this depicting uh, superheroes in real life, a show like this, I do think that does make the rough CG really a sore point for the show. Oof. And and because the problem is that a sh- the strength of a show like this is to show, hey, these mundane, small, quiet moments between people when they're not trying to save the world. Like, that's nice. But in order to do that, like, the level of difficulty of CG is almost higher. Like, you, they need to completely blend in with these, like, regular, normal environments. Yeah. They're, not, they're not fighting each other on an aircraft, uh, on an aircraft carrier in the sky, right? They're, like, in a, a courtroom or a law office and they really need to just like blend in and you need to believe that they are who they are. And, and in the case of this, it's real. I'm just talking about She-Hulk as a character. Okay. That's the only one I'm talking about. Um, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I do think like, Oh, I like, I, I believe that, yeah, this is a cool idea. Um, but I think that the CG is really hurting the execution of that idea, you know? Yeah. At so, one point, Titania refers to her Shrek and it's like, this, this, yeah, I mean, she's not wrong there. She does look like an early 2000s, you know, CG animated character. Just, just, you, just, just in terms of like CG quality, not in terms of looks, right? Is what yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Except every week, um, like the, the design of She-Hulk tends to get a little more uncanny. Like her head <laughs> tends to get a little bigger. Her hands it, tend it, to get is, a little bigger. It There's is something like, off. it doesn't feel consistent yeah. from week to week. <laughs> Anyway, okay. Uh, so what else to highlight about the episode? Um, so I, I will say one oh, thing about... No, go ahead, go ahead. You go ahead. Well, I was going to ask you, at the end of the episode, is she needs to call up her past dates to testify about the dates that she had and what yeah. she did on those dates. Uh, here's a question. If you stood to lose possession of your public name, and in order to prevent that from happening, you had to call up five of your old dates to testify in court about their experiences with you would you do it or not i think i would probably just because i haven't like so i haven't gone on like too many disastrous dates but that but that's just me i feel like most people probably wouldn't um 
that, that's yeah, a tough I one. I don't know. I don't. I, I think I would turn that opportunity. I would just be like, okay, the Dave Chen name is lost <laughs> to, the sands of, to the sands of time. It's gone forever. Fair enough. So. But yeah, it's an interesting question of would you call up your past dates or your past relationships if it meant saving you from legal trouble? Interesting conundrum. Yeah, so something also interesting happens like during this um, this thing of like calling up the old dates and bringing them to court. Uh, the I think it's the oncologist who she really gets along with well. Yeah. Um, when he's on the stand, I think the the language they use in the dialogue really you know struck something for me. Um, where I think it's uh, Amelia Book, Renee Lee Goldsberry's character, who says something like, oh, you know, were you into her when she was presenting as She-Hulk and this and that? And like, She-Hulk is a very light show. Um, so there's not that much going on beneath the surface thematically. And it seems to have like accidentally stumbled onto like very very unintentionally on, onto like a trans allegory that it's probably not going to do anything with. And this is something that, this is not the first time Marvel has like done something like this where like, you know, accidentally it stumbles upon like this really volatile imagery that it's not going to do anything with. Like in in the Loki show, for instance, you know, uh, you had like these very, very like Nazi-esque time cops chasing, mm-hmm. you know, two Lokis. And we had no indication of like why they were doing this yet. Uh, but all that we knew about these two Lokis is that they're mischief makers and they're both bisexual. It's like very accidentally you've created a show where like Nazis are chasing mm. down queer characters. And like very accidentally here you have a trans allegory about well, like let's, body, let's, you're, bodily you're stuff. Being, that... You're being pretty uncharitable when it comes to accidentally. You okay, know? okay. I mean... let's, let's not say accidentally. Let's not yeah. say accidentally. Let's say yeah. it, it, it is it, it incidentally. touches superficially. I could say incidentally. Incidentally. Yeah. Incidentally. Yeah. Yeah. It it touches on uh you know pre-existing imagery that people will connect with you know in in certain ways and that could be used to you know have a more nuanced more interesting conversation about this stuff uh but it, it's not used that way it's it's just used in the sense of like oh green not green you know that kind of thing right but I think you're saying like the idea of presenting as it kind of invokes yeah. Um, the idea of uh, transness, basically, yeah. right? And yeah. uh, and I would agree. I don't think it's really going to do anything that no. interesting with that. No, no, no. If I had to guess, you know, I, I think it. But but if we read it at face value, or if we read it, if you take the sort of more closely available allegory, right? What would it What would it mean for Jennifer Walters as a woman, right? Just mm-hmm. that um, there is a perhaps there's a version of her. Uh, that is presented to the world that people are more in love with than like who she actually feels like she is inside, right? Yeah. Um, so I think it does work on that fundamental level. It's not like it doesn't work on that level. It no, only works on the other level, you know? Yeah. Um, but I agree that there, there are other layers you could read into it that I don't know if the show will go anywhere with. So the episode ends with She-Hulk getting a new outfit. Which we, we don't see it. See. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then there is a Daredevil helmet. <laughs> and it's really weird because I don't think there is a post credit scene in this episode. Mm-mm. So the whole time they've been like, hey, wait for the post credit scene. There's cool stuff in the post credit scene. It's a good one. And then this is a thing that would have been perfect in the post credit scene. They don't put it in the post credit scene. It, it, there's just like bizarre decisions like that that kind of make you feel like, what is going on it's here? Like, such a weird way to end the episode, too, because you're like, yeah. you're waiting for her to like, like, because. W- what is this scene? Like, okay, she is going to pick up her new outfit or outfits, yeah. which yeah. are both reference, which she both tries on 
behind these curtains because uh, again you know like it, it just feels like oh somebody forgot to you know render this scene entirely before the episode went <laughs> up um but no and then it, the, the way it ends is also really weird because like yeah we know who daredevil is but like what what is the relevance of daredevil having the same fashion designer as she and also is daredevil the kind of character that would go to luke <laughs> jacobson did luke did luke jacobson pursue daredevil is that what's going on I hope we find out. I hope we find yeah. out, Saddam. So, anyway, yeah, it's it's a bizarre way to end the episode with like putting the post credit scene in the actual episode itself. Just very weird, very weird. So, oh, we haven't anyway. mentioned the most important thing. What is that, Saddam? Ched shows up again. Oh yes, Ched, and and, and condescends to her about condescends to Jen about how trademark works. <laughs> yes, so important, so important. Yeah. So, anyway. Uh, I am curious to see how Daredevil is going to tie into this. Obviously, they're both lawyers, so I assume it's going to be a legal matter. But I didn't even consider that. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> you're, are, you, are, you, are you messing with me? Or no, no. I, I was like, oh, Daredevil, right. <laughs> superhero, street-level superhero. That's right. I completely forgot that he's a lawyer. <laughs> and I love Daredevil. Like, I know yes. who clearly, Matt Murdock is. Clearly, we are experts that you should be listening to about the MCU. <laughs> I just want to put that out there. So thank you. Thank you for bolstering our credibility. So. Oh, God. Anyway, he is Sinatha Laka. I am David Chen. You can find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Find us on YouTube at youtube.com slash decodingtv. Uh, and I do want to call out that there is a big announcement that's happening next week. Uh, Decoding TV, in addition to covering She-Hulk Attorney at Law and uh, The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, will also be covering the new Star Wars show Andor premiering on Disney+. Plus. Ooh. And uh, I am going to be working with a, a different co-host for that show that I am very excited to announce. It's going to happen probably next Tuesday when that episode is going to come out. Yeah, so. David doesn't like me anymore, but I will say I am excited about this new co-host. <laughs> Siddhanth knows who it is. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about it. And, uh, and I do like Siddhanth. Just I want to make that clear. <laughs> that was a joke. Okay. All right, but tune in next week to find out who is going to be my co-host for Andor. Uh, that's going to be a lot of fun as well. And we hope you are enjoying uh, listening to Decoding TV. Thanks for tuning in this week. We'll see you later. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 